the capital city of the Assyrian kingdom, Nineveh. And that's what we read about, of course, in the very first words of this chapter. Approximately 200 years after Jonah had delivered his message of judgment, was now to receive a warning from God's servant, Nahum. The difference with this message and that of Jonah was that this message was without hope of repentance. Because you notice in the words of verse 2, it leaves us in no doubt over the wrath of God and no doubt over the vengeance of the Lord that would come against such an oppressor. And if we desire to know uh, something of how wicked Assyria was, then we've only got to consider the words of the king back in 1 Kings chapter 18. In fact, I would exhort you to come back there. 2 Kings, I beg your pardon, chapter 18. And we see the king of Assyria and how he uh, beseeches the people not to trust in their king, nor even in their God. Look at the words of verse 29 of 2 Kings chapter 18. And it says, Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. That was the message conveyed by his servants. And you'll note, before you leave that passage, that the enemy of our souls will always seek to bring something that resembles a truth, as it was with this very king. You look at the words of verse 32. It says, Until I come and take you away to a land like unto your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, oil olive, and of honey, that ye may live and not, of, uh, not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah, when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. The land of captivity is presented there as a land like your land. Men and women, it is in such blasphemy and threats that occasions Hezekiah to spread the letter out before him. That's a familiar passage with Hezekiah, how he gets a letter that he had received, a vicious, a vile letter from this king of Assyria, and he presents it before the Lord. He just spreads it out before the Lord. And you see it there in chapter 19, and words of verse 16. It says, Lord, by thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which have sent him to reproach the living God. And men and women, if we take out even the words of Sennacherib, there we would suggest as a good prayer that we could pray. A good prayer for uh, this land and for this people in this year 2023. That the Lord might hear. That the Lord might open his eyes. And look in favor upon us and against our enemy. How far this city and this kingdom had fallen from repenting and being spared in Jonah's day to now this little book of Nahum that opens with the holiness of God and it closes with the sins of Nineveh. And in between is the explanation of God's wrath and God's judgment that was coming against them. Nahum as God's servant, he's brought to see it all. And he knows what's going to take place. And he prophetically writes it down in this short book. 
And there are many lessons that we can learn from the three chapters. There's the lesson of the danger of spurning God's mercy. There's the lesson of God's wrath that cannot be escaped. There's the lesson of the futility of trusting in worldly uh, power or wealth or security. For God in one stroke can remove it all. These opening verses speak something of the God with whom we have to do. You look at it again, verse 2, there's the God who's jealous. He deserves total obedience. It's a jealousy of a husband over his wife. It's the jealousy of a mother over her child or children. He's jealous for his people and his glory, and therefore he must punish sin. But you know, he is also a God who's long-suffering, and he's also a God who's sovereign, as you see in the words of verse 3. He's in control of the very elements of creation. He commands the forces of nature. And no one can stand before his anger. And as you consider these verses, then what one of us would not say, it is what our land and our nation and our hearts deserve. Yet in the midst of such descriptive words of God's anger, there is a ray of sunlight. There's a word that I desire to encourage our hearts with at the start of this new year, and which we will do well to remember and to pray over, because there are words that show us the refuge in 2023. What are those words? They're verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. From the bleakness and the darkness of the preceding words, suddenly this verse stands out. And I want us to consider it just for a little time this morning. Look at, first of all, the person of God. Having touched on some aspects already of the character of God in the opening verses that primarily speak of His holiness, that's why He must punish sin. Verse 7 is a further extension of that. You see, the first words tell us, reveal to us of the existence of God. The verse reads, the Lord. And it is the title or the name Jehovah, as is indicated in our authorized version by the capitals in the name of Lord. And that name of God speaks of the self-existent God. The God of the Scriptures is not one who is impotent. He's not one who needs the help of any of his people. He is not one who needs to be or is dependent upon anyone. He is Jehovah. He is self-existent. He is all-sufficient in and himself. And young people this year particularly guard against such language that even comes from professing believers that would suggest that God needs your help. That's the language you will find in religious meetings in the high school and in the universities. The SU and CU are only as good as those who are in the top committee running them. But that's the language you will hear abounding, that God needs you. And he needs you to do this, and he needs your help. And that's, uh, that, that is uh, the modern view of God in these days. Always seek to hold the highest view of God. He's a God who created all things. He's a God who upholds all things by the word of his power. 
That doesn't suggest to me one who's impotent or weak. He's one who speaks the word and it shall be done. And that speaks to me that God exists. For you see, men and women, this year there'll be an attack again upon the very existence of God. There will be those who will pour scorn scorn and doubt upon it. There are the so-called atheists and humanists and agnostics and the others, the skeptics. And there's a desire to blank out every suggestion that there is a God in heaven. And you see, if men can succeed in doing that, that don't you worry about a, a superior being, don't you worry about there's a God in heaven, just blank that out of your mind, then man can do whatever he likes. And he can live whatever he wants. And he can bring in and desire laws for what he wants to do. Because he's blanked out the thought there's a God. And with that comes the idea that one day he'll have to stand before a superior being. And the one day he'll have to give an account for what he has done, even in the body. There's no thought of God. I want to remind you, Isaiah 57 says, The Lord is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I remind you, the scriptures tell us, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. You ever see a grasshopper? I haven't. You can hear them, but they're that small. And that's just what we're like in God's sight. So amidst all the changes of this year, never forget that the Lord exists. That's the first thing. It's a very basic thing. And to the believer, what a blessed comfort that is. The Lord You see the exclusiveness of his person here. For it says the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And I I speak of exclusiveness because that is a truth that cannot be said of anyone else. It exclusively is speaking of our God. Those words cannot be said of man-made gods. Think of those false religions this morning of this world. And their followers cannot speak of being in some intimate relationship with them. They cannot speak of their gods in terms of being good. Because they have ears and they hear not, they have arms and they have no power. That cannot be said either of man. Man cannot speak of himself in these terms. Because the scriptures repeatedly remind us that there is none that doeth good. No, not one. The Apostle Paul, you remember what he says in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, there is no good thing within even God's people until we get to glory. There will always be the old nature. The old man who is against God and the very opposite of all that is good. That's why you'll have a battle this year as I will with the old nature of the old man. This book doesn't teach perfection on this side of eternity. And the Savior himself was to affirm that when he answered the rich man, the rich young ruler, as we often know him, that that is, I mean, that God is essentially good. This is exclusively speaking of him. 
and it cannot speak of anyone else because we read in Mark chapter 10 and the words of our 17 and 18. You remember how that young man came running to the Lord? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he has gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. The exclusiveness of his person. The Lord is good. How many times over do we not see that throughout the scriptures? Especially in the Psalms. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good for his mercy endureth forever. Hezekiah, who was the king at the time of this Assyrian attack, was to call him the good Lord. Dear men and women, as you face this new year, remember that the Lord is good. And when men fail you, and they will fail you, you can guarantee that. There's a lot of things we can't guarantee and we don't know what lies before us. You can guarantee this year men will fail you. I don't care where they are or who they are. Men will fail you. But there's one who will not fail you because the Lord is good. Don't miss it. We're considering something here that is eternal. You see, Nahum doesn't say he was good or he shall be good. He says he is good. That's present. And will continue to be so this year. The Lord is good at the start of 2023. And he will be at the end of it. Psalm 145 and the words of verse 9. I suppose we could say they sum it up. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. He is good eternally. I want you to listen just a wee quotation from a Puritan known as Thomas Manton. Some of you might have heard of him, read his books or whatever, but he says this, He is originally good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good, not only good, but goodness itself. He is infinitely good. In God there is an infinite ocean or gathering to gather of good. He is eternally and immutably good for he cannot be less good than he is as there can be no addition made to him, so no subtraction from him. The Lord is good. It's not just a wee flippant phrase that we can put off our tongues. What depth of Truth is found behind those words. Jehovah is good. And how good God is is seen in his creation. He made all things and all was very good. It's seen in salvation. He's good in his inspiration. He has given us the good word of God that is able to make us wise unto salvation. Nahum could say in his day, the Lord is good. And dear people, he still is good to this day and shall be for all eternity. That's the God whom we must look to this year. For there is the person of God here. There's another little thought, and that is the protection of God. 
What Nahum proceeds to speak of is his protection. Now, there's no contradiction in these verses. There is, and we have looked at it in the opening verses, there's the severity of his wrath. And that severity of his wrath is against sin. That was coming on Nineveh. But that in itself shows his goodness. He's a holy God. And though he is armed with vengeance against his enemies, yet he doesn't forget his goodness. Though he is terrible to the ungodly, yet he has promised to be the guardians of his church. And these few words give us an insight into what we need for this year. You just think for a moment of the context of this protection. For if you haven't already seen it, this verse stands out amidst these verses that surround it. And that for good reason. They make up the burden of the message that God laid on the heart of Nahum. And it's a message of judgment. But yet in the midst of this such judgment, in the midst of such vengeance of a holy God against sin, Nahum is able to give this truth. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. In other words, whatever the circumstances, whether they be bleak, whether they be dark, as you find in this prophecy, there is the protection of God. He will succor the faithful. He is ever ready to bring help to his people so that in the day of trouble, the faithful should not think that they are deserted by God. That God has somehow rejected them. The faithful should not think that they are rejected when God tries their patience by adversities. For he still succors them in their distress. And please note, he doesn't speak of our day of trouble, but the day. The day of trouble. There are the days of trouble. There's a deeper prophecy in this book and that is the believer will one day have to face the day of trouble spoken in other places of Jacob's trouble and tribulation and that is ere the Lord comes back and that is when the final antichrist will be revealed and he will be defeated but even in the day of trouble protection of Jehovah shall not feel a great truth for whatever the world or Satan may be permitted to hurl at us. But understand that there is a certainty spoken about here. One thing is sure without us knowing what lies before us this year, the believer will have to face the trials, the troubles, the tribulations. Wasn't that something that the Savior spoke uh, to his disciples in that upper room in John chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The word trouble that is used there comes from a word which means narrow or tight place. And I think that really opens up to us what we're looking at. This certainly this year, child of God, is you will feel at times, I will feel at times, the, the distress of being in a tight place, in a tight spot. And when those times occur, what will be our response? How so often we may be like Jacob. 
And you know, Jacob was a great schemer. And Jacob tried to make his own way out of things and make his own way out of difficulties and troubles. And if that failed, then we may turn to friends or others. And when all else fails, we then turn to prayer. I wonder this year, will you first of all turn to God? You see, that trouble may come so to us in so many forms. It may be those personal troubles. And how many of God's people have the personal troubles and health-wise and tests and hospitals and so forth? It may be the trouble that is of a financial sort. It may be the trouble that is of a family sort. But in the midst of this certainty, you will remember what the Savior Himself said in Matthew chapter 6 and the words of verse 8. He says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, like unto the heathen. What are they like? Well, read the verses before that. They were those who used vain repetition just to be heard. They were those who made long prayers and just in the public. The Lord says, don't be like them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. Remember that. The Lord is good, for He knoweth what you have need of even before you ask Him. Another sort of trouble uh, that we will face this year will be doctrinal. The devil and the world is against the truth of the gospel. There will be attempts made to undermine what the written word of God states. Young people, there will be this year attempts made to have you carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There are those who will present to you something new. Something that appeals to the flesh. Something that entertains. And it is a deception and it's a trouble that has as its aim of taking you away from that which you had been faithfully taught. Carried about. There will be the troubles this year of the immoral sort. The liberal-minded laws that are sought to be brought into being are against the laws of God. And they seek to pollute and they seek to corrupt the minds of our children and our young people, our wee children even. We would do well to have the resolve of the psalmist when he said, Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. The eye gate is often the entrance, as it was for Adam and Eve. She saw that the fruit was good. Guard against that trouble of being conditioned by what the world finds as acceptable today. But don't miss the comfort amidst such troubles. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. There is protection afforded. There is a refuge from those troubles that will blow against us and upon our children. When the storm is unleashed, what do you do? You seek a shelter. A 
and there is a shelter that is sufficient and it is described here in my text as a stronghold. The word stronghold gives a sense of being a fortified place, a strong place. And the Lord, and the Lord, we have a strong place in the day of trouble. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says this, The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. You know, Luther and the reformers could sing, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, as we sang it earlier on. The hymn writers could pen the same truths over and over again. In hymn 579 in our book number, uh, verse 3, How oft in the conflict, when pressed by the foe, I have fled to my refuge and breathed out my woe. How often when trials like sea billows roll, have I bidden hidden in thee, O thou rock of my soul. Hezekiah was to know it when the king of Assyria came against them. You see, God intervened in answer to his prayer. And he sent one, one angel to smite the Assyrian. Let me read it to you. Second Kings chapter 19 and the words of verse 35 says this. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, four score, and five thousand. hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Just one angel. Has God changed? Has he not able to do the same this year? The comfort is Jehovah changes not. He yet is that stronghold in the day of trouble. And what a contrast to the strongholds that the heathen depend upon. Nahum chapter 3 verse 12 describes them. It says, All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first stripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. They're like unto the fig tree that's shaken and falls down. But our stronghold is Christ Jesus who cannot be shaken for he is that impregnable rock. Him 571 verse 1 The Lord's our rock and him we hide a shelter in the time of storm secure whate'er ill betide a shelter in a time of storm. Men and women remember that. Take that to heart this year. The Lord is good, yes. But he's also a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is our refuge. And then, if you just want to look at the last part of it, you have the providence of God, because therein the last part of our text is noted an attribute. And says, And he knoweth them that trust in him. There's no limit to the knowledge of God. He knoweth them. Something that the Apostle Paul could say as well. The Lord knoweth them that are his. His knowledge is perfect. Just how much he knows us can be gleaned from the opening verses of Psalm 139. He knoweth our down sitting and our uprising. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, thou knowest it all together. 
Thou hast beset me behind and before. John could speak of the shepherd of our souls as one who knoweth his sheep and as calleth his sheep by name. Shepherd knows his sheep. The Lord who knows all about you, who knows the very number of the hairs in your head, is the Lord whose strength and power is able to keep you this year, whatever the trial, whatever the trouble may be. And he who knows the least things in life, the hairs on her head, the sparrow that falls to the ground, praise his name. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning of this year and everything in between. There's nothing, bar nothing, will take him by surprise. You see, I want you to understand that there is a specific, specific people in mind in these words. It says, and he knoweth them that trust in him. It's those that are described as the righteous. The opening uh, book of Psalms, the very start of it, Psalm 1, verse 6 says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. And is that not illustrated for us even in Job? And we've been looking this morning at our motto text and we can say the Lord is good and he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. But he knoweth them that trust in him. If you ever want somebody to illustrate what it was to be in a day of trouble, you could go to Job. Job lost everything. Lost his business, lost his family in one day. Satan was allowed to put his hand upon his health. He couldn't take him, but he could touch his health. But yet amidst that suffering, this servant of the Lord, and God knew him. He knew the sort of man that Job was. He knew, and that's how the book of Job opens actually, he knew him to be one who was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word perfect there means complete. God knew Job. And Job was able to say in the midst of his affliction, in the midst of his great trouble, Job 23 in the words of verse 10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Lord knew. Oh, his friends didn't know. They thought they knew. But Job could acknowledge the Lord knew the way that he took. And when he came forth, he would be like that gold through the furnace. It had to lose its impurities. He would come forth as gold. Can I ask this morning, does the Lord know you as one of his people? Does the Lord know you as his child? You see, these closing words in our motto text concern a sea of people. The people mentioned unto whom this word of comfort is given is to them that trust in him. 
That speaks of salvation. That brings us to consider the conversion of those who once were slaves to the devil, but have been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. The child of God has trusted that they have believed in the person of Christ to the salvation of their soul. And whatever will face you in this year, in life, in death, in eternity, you're comforted in the knowledge that you are possessed of Christ. And that was because he came to purchase a people for himself on that old rugged cross. And it was there that he laid down his life as the sinner's substitute. That purchase meant the shedding of his own precious blood. It meant Christ fulfilling the will of God, the Father, on behalf of an undeserving people so that they might be redeemed and they might be counted into the fold. Have you been counted in? You know, the old analogy holds good. The shepherd, he would count his sheep into the sheepfold. The sheepfold at a very narrow door. And he would put the rod over the top of them. And as they passed under the rod, they were counted in. Have you been counted in? If not, I wonder, will you come this morning? You see, I tell you this, I'd rather be among the people in verse 7 as among those in verse 8. The Lord is good as stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. They trust in Him even in the time of darkness in the day of trouble. But the Lord knows it, and He knows them. Verse 8, But with an overrunning flood he will make another end of the place thereof and darkness shall pursue his enemies. You're either in verse 7 or you're in verse 8. You're either one that's trusting in him or you're an enemy of God. I wonder where it is for you at the start of this year. Men and women, young person, there's a refuge from God's wrath that is yet to come. It'll be a wrath that'll be indescribable. It'll be God's wrath and judgment like no other. The day of Jacob's trouble. But there's a refuge. There's a safe hiding place. And it is in Christ. That's the one to whom you must flee to in repentance of your sin and in faith. I wonder, will you come this morning and start off this new year aright? Saved. Secure. In Christ's fold. In the very hand of the Lord. I trust that you will. May the Lord bless his word to your soul even today. Remember it. Pray over that. The Lord is good. A stronghold in a day of trouble. I know of them that trust in Him.